This episode of HR and on tour was recorded as part of the 2020 Nyman Ranch Hog Farmer Appreciation Celebration. For the past 21 years, Nyman Ranch has hosted a Hog Farmer Appreciation Dinner in Iowa to celebrate their community of independent U.S. family farmers. In 2020, COVID-19 made it unsafe to gather together in person, but it was important to continue the annual celebration and hold their Hog Farmer Appreciation Dinner. This series of special virtual events took place between August 5th and September 11th. We hope you enjoy listening in on some of these conversations. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this panel on the future of restaurants. I'm Kat Johnson, Communications Director of HRN. We are a nonprofit food podcast network based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm happy to be here to moderate this important conversation on what the future holds for the restaurant industry. And I'm stepping in today for Katie Mosman-Wadler, our executive director, who had a power outage due to the bad weather in the Northeast. Um, She's sad she couldn't be here, but I'm happy to step in for her. Um, Today's panel is the first one in a series of events for Nyman Ranch's 22nd Annual Hog Farmer Appreciation Celebration. They've organized a great series featuring people like Michael Pollan and Dr. Temple Grandin, as well as virtual farm tours, chef and farmer panels, and more. All of this to celebrate their network of independent family farmers. You can visit nymanranchhfad.com for more information. I just want to check briefly, are we all good, Alicia? Great. Okay. Um, as we do this panel, audience members, you can you can share your questions for our Q&A at the very end in the comments, um, and we will pick a few of those to answer at the end of the hour. Um, today's topic is a, a really, really big one that we could talk about for a long time, so I want to just jump right in and set us up with some context. As I introduce each of our panelists, I'm gonna ask them to answer in just a minute or so about the biggest challenge they're currently facing at work as we look towards the future of restaurants. So first up, we have Chef Stephen Jones of the Larder and the Delta in Phoenix. He comes from a family of chefs and cooks and has spent 39 years in the industry himself. That includes stints at Water Grill, Table 8, and Nobu in Las Vegas, and MK Restaurant in Chicago. He then moved to Phoenix to work on several projects within the DeSoto Central Market. And in 2018, his eight seat counter concept, the Larder and the Delta, gained much acclaim and momentum. And so he opened it as a standalone brick and mortar restaurant. He's also been nominated by Best Chef Southwest by the James Beard Foundation. So welcome, Stephen, and tell us about the challenges you're currently seeing. Welcome, thank you for having me. Uh, I, you know, the, the challenges here in Phoenix, you know, I mean, they're, they're many to talk about to to discuss you know but the biggest one that we're that that we're dealing with is is kind of like i would say our lack of leadership and and the many different messages that that are coming down which which in turn is pulling our industry in multiple different 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 directions and uh without that guide without that guidance and those guidelines and some of those mandates uh uh, it's making it uh, uh, challenging you know uh to to, to say the least here in, uh, in phoenix I would say I, I, overall that is definitely the, the the biggest one that I that I that I hear and that I know and that we see that we're dealing with uh, 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 the most. Great, thank you. Our next panelist is Bruce Reinstein, who is a partner at Kinetic Twelve. They are a food industry management consulting firm. He has 25 years of experience as a hospitality industry executive, including his former roles as president of Consolidated Concepts and co-founder and president of Fresh City. 
His expertise includes developing and growing multi-unit restaurant brands and tailoring customized solutions and systems so that restaurants can attain lasting results. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you. Good to be with everybody. Um, you know, I'm in an interesting position in that uh, I'm not an operator today, but was an operator for many years and was a consultant at a firm that focused on supply chain. So all of this is happening ar around me. Um, I have the luxury of the fact that I'm working with uh, operators and suppliers and trying to help them get through this. And, you know, the main focus is, is that we're all consumers and we, we've had to actually think about that first because consumer behaviors that have had the biggest impact on everything. Uh, from that, it's really uh, being able to look to the future and trying not to look at everything from the past because things are moving so fast. Um, so I, I think that's what I want to be able to touch on today is some of the things that I'm working on in order to help the industry look forward and, and pivot. Excellent. Next up, we have Chef Mary Sue Milliken. She's the co-chef and owner of Border Grill Restaurants, Trucks and Catering, which she runs with her business partner of more than 35 years, Susan Finnegar. She's advanced progressive causes throughout her nearly 40 year career, including work with many nonprofits and remarkable food diplomacy. She serves on the board of both Share Our Strength and the James Beard Foundation. And in 1993, she joined other progressives to found Women Chefs and Restaurateurs and Chefs Collaborative. She was the 2018 Julia Child Award winner and has received many other accolades. Welcome, Chef Mary Sue. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here with all of you. And um, I'm excited about the topic we're discussing because it's, you know, as Bruce said, it's moving so quickly. And I agree totally with Stephen's, um, you know, challenge of the lack of leadership, which is really paramount right now. But um, for me, I have six restaurants and a catering company, and I think, um, What's happened during this pandemic is it's really um, exposed the broken financial model of the restaurant industry before this um, pandemic and really the vulnerability all through the food system. And um, so we've looked at everything from, you know, healthcare surcharges to abandoning tipping to, you know, really in the end, I've been thinking a lot about how are we going to educate the public and really change public perception to understand that the food that we eat in restaurants has been artificially inexpensive for a very long time on the backs of people who are underpaid and don't have the benefits that they need. And I, I feel like this is a chance for us to, I mean, my biggest challenge is managing finances, but here's our chance to really um, try to build back better. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to talk more about that, absolutely. Our last panelist today is Jeff Amoscato. He's the Senior Vice President of Supply Chain and Menu Innovation at Shake Shack, where he is responsible for all supply chain, culinary, and quality assurance functions. He's been part of the Shake Shack team since their first location opened in Madison Square Park, which you can see is where he is today, sort of. Um, Jeff has played an integral role in the company's international expansion, including locations in Dubai, London, and Tokyo and more, and he oversees Shake Shack's culinary team that brings innovative new products to market like the Smoke Shack and the Chicken Shack. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Kat. Great to be here and great to be uh, alongside all these great industry professionals. I'm really humbled and uh, a great collection of, of brilliant minds here. Um, wow, challenges. We could go so many different directions with challenges, supply chain challenges, menu challenges, QA challenges. 
Um, but, you know, the one that really comes down to me is it all starts with the menu and what we're serving. And, you know, we're at a place right now where we're evaluating and simplifying our menu because uh, the menu is what starts the challenges for our operators, our teams, our restaurants to function efficiently, to, you know, serve our guests in a very high quality manner in a new way. Um, and then it trickles down into so many other areas of our, of our business, our, my supply chain team, uh, the uh, different marketing functions. So there's just so many different things that to us, it's, it starts with the menu. And as we think about what we're putting on the menu, what we've had on the menu and what the menu of our future looks like, you know, that's our challenge of, of today and, and tomorrow. And that will really, you know, lay out the path for us forward. Excellent. So the next thing I want to talk a bit about, because it's it's what's at the front of everyone's mind on a day-to-day -day basis, is is what we're kind of calling the COVID pivot. Um, how have you know your restaurants that you're working with, how have they been handling both the necessary changes as far as meeting public health criteria, but also some of these creative changes that are having to happen to make sure that you, you know, you can sustain the business how are how are restaurants dealing with these pivots and thinking through them in order to survive the moment and for anyone yeah i'll start here um and say that uh, you know we were in a fortunate position to have a digital uh strategy in place and and having some digital functionality within the ability for our guests to interact now, obviously, we, we've always been a gathering place and a place for people to come and be part of a community, but we had the app and we had a way of, uh, of people ordering and our guests getting uh, the food differently that helped us with the pivot quicker. Um, and, and that's really played very beneficial uh, to us as we've transitioned to this new way. Uh, love to hear other people's thoughts. I, I think that, you know, one of the key things that has changed is that safety first is, is really the critical piece. Um, it's really food and service are, are really should be assumed at this point. If you're not safe, you can't do it. Um, the biggest thing is, is you have to differentiate today. Um, you can't really live on, you know, how you did in the past. It's all about how you do moving forward. And, um, you know, as people have pivoted, it, it really focuses in on the trust. Uh, the consumer wants to come to you if they trust you and, and what you're doing. And I think there are a lot of uh, restaurants and restaurant chains that are actually doing okay through this. And a lot of it comes down to trust and uh, frequency and, and using the services that the, the restaurant offers. Yeah, I mean... I, I would have to say, you know, for us, for us here, like, and we're a dinner only fine dining restaurant, you know, and for us, the, the, the biggest pivot when all, when everything kind of, you know, jumped off was, was, was simply figuring, figuring it out because we, most restaurants, at least in, 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 in my space uh, in Phoenix, you know, we, we didn't have that digital presence. You know, it wasn't something that we, that we, that we, 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 we all have websites we all had gift cards, things like that, but, but the, the amount, the sheer weight of, the amount of content that we had, that we that you needed to pivot quickly, we didn't have, so it just took some time. And then, then there was a, a run on all supply chain things, whether it be PPP, uh, uh, PPE stuff, or whether it just be, you know, to-go containers and you know packaging and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, building all building all that out just it took a while. And uh, 
because everyone there was such a big you know mass you know rush uh, rush for it. So for us, it was just it was just time. You know, um, uh, we were able to pivot and, and did did a, a good job doing it. Uh, but even now, even then, it still still is and was a challenge. And I would just add that you know um, each of my businesses is so different, and they all shut down for at least the first six weeks because I think everyone thought this is only going to be six or eight weeks, and now we have a whole different kind of landscape. And I, we took the kind of um, approach that, you know, um, let's watch what others are doing. Let's not be the first to try this or that. Let's see how they're doing and see how it, and a lot of my colleagues here in Los Angeles and in Las Vegas are so creative and have come up with so many great ways of turning their restaurants into marketplaces. In, in my case, we um, one of our kitchens downtown, which is a ghost town and all the office towers are empty. So there's no possibility of to go or delivery or, or anything or dining outside because there's no customers. It's probably just similar to Manhattan or, you know, but we, um, we have really went out and beat the pavement to find um, ways to cook meals for the homeless, the elderly, the clinicians. And we were able to really put about 40 of our employees back to work down there in just the kitchen. And that was, that has been great because those are the employees that um, were not able to get unemployment benefits. And, and that, you know, for a small company like ours, I think we really, um, it breaks my heart to think of people and what they're going through. So that was a great, um, and then now I'm actually, um, lobbying the state government to do a whole nother program where every restaurant who's trying to bridge their time between now and when there's some there's enough business to sustain um, can get some government contracts to to serve use their kitchens to serve those in need so that's excellent i think we've been seeing you know lots of restaurants across the country do do similar um you know, things where we're, we're able to feed first responders and have people back in the kitchen. And um, I'm curious if anyone else has experiences with that and, you know, talking about some of these creative ways that we can, we can keep restaurants up and running in the interim while we figure out what's next. Right. Yeah, we, we've uh, partnered with uh, Frontline Foods as well as uh, uh, we'll set the kitchen a couple of times as well and, and providing meals for, for our frontline workers. Uh, we've done some, uh, uh, some stuff for the, to feed the homeless um, as well here in, uh, in the downtown area as well. So we've, we, we've been able to, to, keep, to keep the staff busy and, 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 and get, giving people work and providing them, you know what I mean, a, a sense of place, a sense of something to, to do during all this. Uh, and that's been, that's been really, really fun. That's, that's actually provided so many more smiles than I've, than I've seen in such, a, in such a, a, a long time. And I think it's needed. Excellent. Yeah, early on in the pandemic, you know, obviously New York was hit really, really hard, uh, you know, back in you know, late March, early April. And there was an incredible outpouring of community support of guests that had the wherewithal to, to buy meals for first line workers. And they would come to us wanting to uh, you know, buy 200 burgers and fries and, and whatever it is to drop off at a hospital. And we were able to do that all over uh, the city and, um, you know, not just in New York, but other places as well. Uh, but it was just really, you know, heartwarming to see that there are guests out there, that that's their first thought of how do I help? 
I'm going to go to my favorite restaurant or a favorite restaurant and, you know, let's get meals into the hands of these frontline workers that, you know, aren't able to get home uh, as often and are, are really working, you know, overtime nonstop for days and weeks on end. It's really one of the benefits uh, and it's surely been difficult in everybody, but, you know, community has become so important and that's not going away. Uh, this whole reboot, um, it changes um, the fact that a restaurant now is part of a community and the, the people who run these restaurants, um, you know, people want to go see them. They, they want their food, but they want to get to know these people who are part of their community. Um, Bruce, that's an excellent transition because next I want to talk, I want to talk a bit more about the role that restaurants play. You just so eloquently stated how they're, they're community centers, they're places of hospitality. People, I think, are so viscerally missing the experience of going into a restaurant. Um, but they're also a key part of this supply chain. They're supporting farmers, they're supporting vendors. You know, when restaurants had to close, it had a ripple effect across the food system. Um, and the Independent Restaurant Coalition is telling us that they're estimating 85% of restaurants could permanently close and that equates to about 16 million jobs lost. And so I want to hear kind of more from each of you um, about the specific roles that restaurants that you work with play in your communities and, and with the, within those supply chains and within those networks and in a larger sense, what's at stake with these numbers that we're hearing that are quite scary. Um, Mary Sue, do you want to start? Well, um, I, sorry. <laughs> I do think it's, um, it is scary, and um, I think that I I can't I'm, you know I do feel that the the fab the social fabric that is put together in a community by restaurants is is so valued by everybody, and I so I don't see that going away, but I do see that this transition during this transition there's going to be so much lost in LA. We're having we're hearing about like. 10 restaurants a week that are not going to reopen. And, um, and I'm really involved with the, the IRC and with state government and, you know, districts in lobbying to get the, our legislators and our leaders to really see how valuable the restaurant community is from an economic standpoint too. I mean, we employ so many people and there, and we, the profit margins are, you know, 10% or less. If you're lucky, they're 10%, but they're probably often less. So all that money is going right back out. So I think, you know, really convincing our, our legislators that that we need restaurants. Um, I, I think that's where I've been spending a ton of my time. Mm -hmm. um, Stephen, I, what about, what about okay. you, Stephen, as far as um, the role that your restaurant plays in, in the community that you're in? I mean, I, I again, I, uh, I think that, you know, here and, and when I look at the restaurant, I look at you know what we bring to the table and how how we respond to, the, to the, our community's needs. I look at it as a whole as we we are just a calm in place. You know, I mean, there are many different restaurants and many different chefs in, in, in Phoenix alone, especially in the downtown area, that have come together and worked together and are and are, are and are asking for the same things that are try, attempting to force the hand of our legislation. You know, that are out there. You know, you know, week in and week out. You know, uh, 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 working for the community, trying to to better the community, whether it's helping kids in schools and feeding uh, feeding kids in schools, or it's you know a uh, uh, community organization, and they, they're getting all, getting all the chefs and restaurant owners together collaboratively to 
have these discussions and formulate a, a plan together to work as one uh, uh, to to approach the, uh, our legislators and, and things like that. Um, and you know, I don't know. It's 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 kind of a, a mixed bag of kind of a, uh, an emotional roller coaster. This whole thing it has everyone on, as well as you know the restaurant community here uh, as a whole. But I, I I just simply think that you know we here we are working together. The chefs and restaurants are uh, the chefs and restaurant tours are to 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 come together as one to, to figure it out together. Because again, like every 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 day, you know, there's something new. It's moving so fast. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, uh, you know, the one thing that's interesting is, you know, consumer behaviors have changed, but in some ways um, we're beginning to get accustomed to the fact that they surely don't want to sit home and buy food from a supermarket and, and cook. So everybody is out now. They're, they're being careful. They're trying to be safe. So, you know, we as, as operators, we just need to be as flexible as possible. People are eating now at different times of the day. Um, I call them fringe day parts. I mean, some people, you don't have to eat between 12 and two and, you know, six and eight o'clock. People are eating at different times. They want uh, curbside and they want different forms of takeout and they want delivery. They, they want meal kits so they can use uh, the products that you have at home. So th- there's so many great opportunities to drive new revenue. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. But the consumer actually wants the great food that uh, chefs and, and restaurants are, are producing. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kat, I think you point, you touched on a really good point uh, before is the supplier community. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about the communities in which we operate our businesses and, and we have Shake Shacks across the country and we touch a lot of communities. But collectively, we have one common community and that's our supplier community. And I miss getting out to see our supplier community. One of the things I love to do the most is go out and you know, visit a ranch or a farmer or you know, supplier that's making uh, a product for us. And um, it's tough to be grounded and not be able to do that. And it's uh, tough to know that that community, you know, they rely on us having our doors open and you know, Mary Sue and Stephen having their doors open. Like we need to provide them um, just as much as we need them to provide us with the great food that they have. Um, so, you know, not being able to get to those communities. And, and it's one thing to talk to people on the phone or through Zoom calls and and whatever, but it's not the same to be, you know, on the same farm with them, you know, breathing the same great smell of a hog farm or something um, and, and being out there. And you know that you're doing such a good thing when you're able to be with them and you could see the impact that you have. And, you know, I think what we've done great over the years is build those relationships and, and have stayed committed to, you know, as many of these, you know, farming and supply communities that we have through this and, and providing, you know, a level of security and hope that one day when our guest community comes back, we'll all thrive and, and rise together. Absolutely. So true, Jeff. That's how we met was that on a Nyman Ranch farm. That's right. <laughs> you can't, there's just nothing else like it. Um, so we're kind, of, we're kind of pivoting to the next topic as well, which is about um, financial sustainability strategies. Restaurants are having to get super creative, especially as we wait for talking about work that she's been doing on a state and local level. But in the meantime, as we're talking about, 
restaurateurs are having to come up with their own solutions in the meantime. So can you all tell me a little bit more about strategies that you're utilizing or seeing across the industry right now as it relates to, you know, PPP and rehiring or um, other creative strategies that you might be using um, and thinking about both short-term and long-term as we go forward? Well, you know, I, um, when this whole thing went down and we took about six weeks when we didn't go to the restaurants, we didn't open, we just completely shuttered. Um, my first thought was, you know, I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. I wanted to move away from the tipping model. And I thought this is my opportunity to do this. And I started talking to lots of other restaurateurs and saying, look, we could all do it together like the smoking ban, you know, <laughs> which would maybe a little bit um, more possible. But the more I researched it and the more I talked to people who are doing it or have done it, I realized that um, it really is something we need our lawmakers and leaders to help us make happen. So I abandoned that idea and I did, um, in one of our restaurants, I've added a 5% uh, healthcare surcharge, which um, I felt was at least something that our customer base would accept in this, uh, or, you know, in this atmosphere now. And um, that's been really helpful. We have a separate bank account. The money goes straight there. That is helping to pay our health insurance, which we always paid out of, you know, whatever uh, out of income. So um, because the, because the, our sales are down about 70 percent at um, at all of our restaurants at company wide. So, you know, that's a huge amount to try to manage and keep the labor um, in line. It's just, and you know, the PPP is there for now, but, um, my goal is still to try to figure out how to at least run it break even. So, um, that's been one of the things that I've been kind of, I decided to do. We did not do the 5% healthcare surcharge in Vegas, which just reopened, um, four weeks ago because the whole, the whole place was closed down Mandalay Bay. But, um, I don't think that our clientele there would, um, would react well to it. Interesting. I uh, hear you, you know thinking about you know creative ways, and I right right when all this uh, uh, when when everything happened uh, and then the shutdown happened, we 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 also closed. Uh, we were closed for about uh, about about seven weeks, uh, seven weeks ourselves. And you know I I use the time to kind of really just re rethink you know uh, uh, the restaurant model and our model what we were doing here from the ground up. I literally just literally took the restaurant and sat on my counter and broke it all down. You know, uh, from a financial standpoint, from a labor standpoint, from all, from all different facets, and, and trying and trying to find those inconsistencies or those those ways that we can shave here, and and, and figure out maybe we can maybe we really didn't even need to do that certain tasks or, or, or purchase that certain thing or whatever. Again, just trying to rethink the, the, the restaurant model itself. But I think you know we talked about it you know a few minutes ago. I think you know, the, the restaurant model itself will have to be rewritten, especially from a financial standpoint. That is, if you want to take a, take a positive away from this whole thing, I think it's causing us all to relook at the, uh, the restaurant model itself from a, from, a, from a financial standpoint and looking at, you know, what, you know, how can we streamline this? How can we do this? Do we really need to do this? And really take a look at, you know, take a look about, you know, go back and, you know, read some of those customer review, uh, uh, reviews. Read, you know, read some of those Q and A that, that that you got, or some of those emails you got, and really listen to what the people actually want. I think a lot of times in restaurants, we 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 put we we put a product out there, or we put something out there that we assume that guests want, or we or we we're doing it for other reasons in terms like maybe we want to do it, 
And then we, we get frustrated when we see the end result not happening. So I think that, you know, we really need to restructure and relook at how we have to go about our business. Because again, let's be, let's, 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 you know, be real, you know, we're, we're talking about, we're over a year away from any kind of normalcy in, in, in our, in our industry and, uh, and, uh, and operating at, you know, at a 70% loss, like I am, as well as Mary Sue is, you know, that's just not sustainable, you know, and this is something that we've worked our entire career for in our life where we love and we just can't let it see it, see it fall by the wayside like that. Well, Stephen, some, some great points. And it's exactly what I tell the operators that I work with. Uh, you know, simplification's really important right now. You know, our menus have gotten so bloated, yep. but it doesn't mean that we have to become just standard menus. We want to be great, um, but we have to make them simpler. We have to reduce the number of ingredients we have in our kitchens. And, you know, another big thing is we have to become more productive and efficient. So, you know, I think we've become a world of specialists and, and instead, you know, our staff, they have to become multifaceted. They, that's the way we used to run restaurants and they have to be able to do as many jobs as they possibly can. And uh, it becomes much more of a team. It really improves the culture. And uh, so I think you're right on with what you said. Yeah, it's interesting to hear, I mean, whether you have one restaurant like Steven's, six like Mary Sue, or the 194 shacks that we have, a restaurant P&L is challenging. Good times, it's challenging. In times like now, it's near impossible. And, you know, like I said early on when we first opened this, I mean, we're looking at the simplicity of our menu, Bruce, and we're thinking about how those different items play into our our overall mix and our P&L and how to make the most profitable business out of, you know, the different times that we have now and the different ways that guests are, are using us. Um, but, you know, it all boils down to it, a restaurant p and still a really challenging thing to make work. The financials have always been uh, a challenge and, you know, it doesn't matter your, your size, the bigger your size, the bigger the problem sometimes. Um, uh, but, you know, we all still face the, the same thing. So, um, you, you know, they're, they're, we don't have to, um, you know, have tipped employees. Um, so we're, we're in a different segment with that. But, you know, we're paying uh, premium pay to our employees right now who are uh, going in and, uh, you know, working really hard during, during these different times. And that does change things and you know how do we do a menu that compensates for that or how do we make other changes that, that compensate for that and i just want to add that you know as hospitalitarians it's so against our 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 nature to cut back the menu and not have as many choices and not bend over backwards to make the customer you know really excited so it's it's something we all have to really learn and think about and for all those reasons during this time especially yeah, cut, cut, cut goes against our nature altogether. <laughs> we, 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 don't, we don't know how to do that. No. Well, I'm, I'm curious to hear um, what are some of the other opportunities or, you know, silver linings that you are all seeing in this moment? And I also wonder, you know, we're talking a lot about changes that are needing, that are having to be made out of kind of necessity, but it seems to me like you all are kind of having some thought processes that are a little bit more long-term looking. So, you know, it, I think maybe some, some folks are kind of past um, as much of a reactive moment and looking to be a little bit more proactive. So, so what other opportunities are you seeing in the short and long-term? 
I mean, I think right now, I think right now as a, as an operator, restaurateur, chef, executive chef, whatever your, your, your title may be, I think if you're not looking to the future right now, you, you've already, you've already missed the ball. I mean, like at, at this point in time, you have to be thinking about tomorrow. You, you know, you have to be thinking about three months, six months, you know, you have to, you have to, there's no other way. Um, or you won't, or you won't survive. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's just like forecasting, you know, you have to forecast, you have to, you know, know and, pl- and make a plan for what you what to expect, you know? And right now, yes, there it, it's the unknown. You don't know what to expect, but, but what you do know is you know that people have to eat. We know, you know that people want to eat and you, you know that you have a loyal client, a, a, a client base and a customer base. And, and what could you do? You know, again, you know, we're all creative, you know what I mean? Hospitality industry is some of the most creative people I've ever, I've ever had to been around in my, in my, in my entire life. And, and you just, again, it's just about having those conversations with, you know, other restaurateurs or even looking outside of what we do. And maybe you have a friend that's an interior designer or, or a friend that's a banker that you can lean on and ask some questions about. You, you, you have to be having these, these discussions and these, and these, and these conversations and kind of like, you know, let that ego put the ego aside a little bit. You know what I mean? Chefs are kind of known for having this ego. I, I don't know where they get it from, but you know, they, you know, uh, but you know, putting the ego, uh, eagles, eagles aside a little bit and, and, and taking a step back and looking at your business and how long do you want your business to be there? If you, if you don't, if this isn't something that you, you want to do, you want to, you know, wash your hands of it, then wash your hands of it, you know what I mean? And then move on. But if not, if you want to, if you're going to stick around and be in it, you have to be in it. You have to, you know, you have to, you have to give 110 and, uh, and understand it's going to be a process, you know what I mean? This is, this is, again, we're talking about the unknown. This is, this is, this is going to be hard, you know what I mean? And again, the hard conversation they have to be had. Some hard decisions are going to be made, but at, in the end, you just have to, you know, planning and looking out, looking to the future, looking to a year from now and understanding, okay, in a year, I'm anticipating this is where we're going to have, you know, a, 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 not, not so much a cure, but we're going to have an antibody to this. And, you know, people are going to be getting out. People are going to be doing their thing again. What are we going to do? How are we going to come up with what, what, what is that pivot going to look like? And what is it going to be? And it involves a lot of souls searching for sure. So uh, I think everybody's challenging themselves. It's interesting, you know, back in March, everyone was talking about comfort food and how the consumer wanted <clears throat> comfort food. And everybody just assumed that was mac and cheese and meatloaf and chicken pot pie. But every operator has their comfort food. And it's whatever they're actually known for that the consumer actually goes to the restaurant for. And, and that's what you have to build on. It's, uh, there's so much potential out there, but you can't get caught into the, the negative. And, I, you know, it's great to hear positive remarks from everybody today. I think there's a lot of silver linings that are uh, coming out of this. I mean, first of all, you get to learn who your real partners are along the way. Um, so it's one thing when times are good, but when it gets really difficult, you know who's standing by you and who, who wants to wants you to win, who's there cheering for you. Um, it, man, you get to really see who your, your stars are, you know, internally, externally. Um, it, people rise in challenging times. And that's been such a great thing to see within my own team or, or how people, while we haven't been able to talk to each other face-to-face in months. Um, people are working really, really hard because they love and care for, for the business. And it's just, it's a wonderful thing to see. Um, and, you know, it's forcing us to fast track some projects, things that may not have seemed 
really important at the time or yeah, it's another kind of project that we're working on, but we'll get around to it. Well, now's the time to really to get to it. For us, it's, it's drive through. Like we got to, we got to make that work. And um, you know, it's, it was there, it was talked about, and now we're really acting on it um, amongst many other things. Uh, So, you know, it, it does force you, it's a forcing mechanism. And um, you know, if you take that as an opportunity, there's going to be a lot of silver linings down the road. Yeah, I would just add that I think um, you know there's some of the things that are that we've been able to get um, relaxed as far as um, you know city ordinances and and government rules. Um, you know we can sell cocktails now. We can have outdoor dining now. And, um, you know, from what I'm learning, um, this has been my little like university time where I go to a lot of Zooms and podcast or uh, webinars to learn, you know, this is not the first pandemic we're going to have with with climate change and the way the world is going. There are going to be more um, pandemics and this might be something we're dealing with for in this particular um, virus is really, really clever, and um, it may be a longer time. So I feel like some of the things that we're able to do now might stay with our industry, which would be great. And and the second huge silver lining to me is I went to chef school in 1976. So literally, I've been cooking for a very, very long time. And um, I think if I look back on all those years, and when I entered the industry, how unprofessional it was, you know, I didn't realize that you can't, you shouldn't treat employees that way. You shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't make them work six, 12 hour shifts a week and pay them, you know, one flat sum. Um, So our industry is more professional than it's ever, ever been. And this is an opportunity for us to take it to the next level of professionalism and, you know, think of ourselves like, like, doctors and lawyers and, you know, healthcare workers and teachers. And, you know, we are important. Absolutely. Essential frontline. We, that's what we are seeing every single day. Um, well, I'm going to, can I just jump in one second and say absolutely. that prohibition, if prohibition laws actually change after all of this, then <laughs> some kind of silver lining. Out of this. <laughs> there you go. So I'm, I'm going to, We've been having some great discussions about what the future looks like. So we have really great questions coming in from listeners and I want to jump into them. Um, So the first one is, um, Cam says, as a Nyman Ranch farmer, should I be worried that our premium products will will not be as popular with all the constraints you're under? Or does our traditional way of raising animals fit in with your new objectives? And I think that's so interesting. I think people are thinking a lot about where their food is coming from right now as they're seeing what's happening with restaurants and cooking at home more. So what do you all think about that? What are you seeing consumers' um, ideas and thoughts are about about where their food, in particular meat, is coming from? I mean, I think you nailed it. I think what you said, you absolutely nailed it. I don't think you know the, the farmer has to worry about their their their, their premium products uh, at all. I don't. I, I know for a fact we have guests that come in that, that, that know who we source from that, that literally come here because we source from those certain people. And I think uh, as a country as a whole, we are we we are getting a lot more educated about what we are putting in our body and what we're not putting in our body. And I think and now we also have so many different choices too. So I think we we are having people go to go to eat and, and put in their body what they what they what they choose to 
So I, I definitely, I definitely think that there's, there's no worry for, for the, for, for that premium market product. Cause I think, I think it's, it's doing well now. I think it'll continue to do well. And I, I think that that's actually the going to becoming much more mainstream as well. I, I think the consumer now wants to know where their food comes from the source. And another thing that they want to know is where the food comes from, from the kitchen to them. They, they want to know about it a little bit further. Um, so I think it's really important for the farmer to really be able to work together with the operator on the story and make sure that the information is real. Uh, I think in some cases we got away from real stories and um, we were telling stories. And I think now what we have to do is, is really be honest and uh, our consumer, our customer wants to trust us. And I think even, um, you know, restaurants that are buying those high-end meat products, um, a lot of us have pivoted to be selling raw meat, um, which is, um, you know, I think a, a, another great outlet. And I, I think it should, it is something that may stay with, with a lot of us who are, you know, searching for all the different ways to to service and take care of our, our guests and our customers. But if you're in a restaurant and you're having a great meal and you think, oh, if I could buy, you know, a couple of steaks, I'll just take them home and I'll have them on the weekend. And I know that they're from a good place and I know that they've been raised um, in a way that makes me feel good about my what I'm doing with the planet and what I'm doing to my body. So I think that's another opportunity. Kat, I see another question in the chat that I think what I'm going to say will kind of answer both. It's, uh, you know, what do you think the main differences between restaurants that are staying open and those that are permanently closing? I think part of that is the sourcing of, of the product and, and having um, a commitment to ethically raised proteins and, uh, you know, sourced items, whatever it is that not only have a story, but you actually know where it's from and, and the transparency of where it's from. So, you know, I, I think that the premium products will, stay will thrive thrive further and um, be an important lifeline for restaurants to stay in existence if you don't have those then you are going to be even further behind in trying to resurrect your business after this that's a great segue to that question and also i think <laughs> this all ties back to what bruce was originally saying about trust i think that that is a big piece of the the consumer trust um, but on that note, um, the question is, what do you think are the differences between restaurants that are managing to stay open and the ones that are, be, are that are closing permanently? Any other thoughts besides ingredient sourcing you guys have about what those differences have been? Well, I, I, I can tell you, and Stephen, you actually mentioned this a little bit. Um, you have to take the emotion out of what you do when you're operating your, your restaurants today. I mean, it's it's a very emotional business and a um, lot of uh, egos, very creative. And in the end, you have to do what the consumer wants. And so you, you have to pivot. And I think that's really the, the key to everything. And those that don't, those that are, you know, stand still and become complacent, they're going to have a lot of trouble moving forward. I would just say that I, I, I'm seeing a lot of people uh, closing permanently who have pivoted and have done a lot, but um, I'm thinking part of the difference between uh, we're staying open is that we have relationships with our landlords, with our purveyors, with people that we 
have been building for many, many, many years. You know, most of my restaurants have been in their locations for 20 years or more, or, or uh, although we did open our new restaurant eight weeks before lockdown. Um, but I do, I do think that landlords have a lot to do with um, whether or not restaurants, certain restaurants are gonna be able, there, there's no amount of pivoting that some businesses yeah. can do to, to make it through this time without the support of their landlords, I think. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's and that, that brings up, you know, the, the underlying, you know, uh, concern, the underlying thing that no one really wants to talk about. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's still a restaurant. We open restaurants because we, we, we want to bring and, and foster community. We're not going to be able to do that through curbside. So I know, I know restaurants that have opened and that have pivoted. They did a good job pivoted, pivoting, and yet they still had to close permanently simply because of it's just not bringing enough to the table. You know, if, you're, if you're doing, if you're used to doing a, you know, a $10,000 night and that gets cut to, you know what I mean, $2,000 a night, and you, you still have to pay rent, taxes, and everything else, it, no matter, no matter math you, you can dream up, we'll make that work. Plus, plus, plus labor. And that's just what it is. That's what it breaks it down to. And that's the hard, and that's the hard reality and hard, hard truth. Uh, I mean, there's been some very, very successful restaurants that pivoted that just didn't, did it, didn't make it simply because the math doesn't work out. You know, they don't have the, whether it be a poor relationship with the landlord or the landlord just, is just not budging. I've heard, I've heard them all. I've heard them all. Thankfully for us, we, we have a great landlord here that, that, that we work with and uh, they're true partners with us. And I, I was shocked. I didn't expect it, you know. Uh, 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 I didn't, you know, and it didn't happen. They didn't put up a, there was no arguing. No, no, there was no bad anything. It just went, it went very, very well for us. But I know there are a lot of people out there who didn't, who don't have that support. And at the end of the day, you, you, you a person can only bleed so much before they try and put it out, put it, you know, put it out somehow. You know what I mean? And I think that's that, that's just what it is. You know, you, you know what I mean? And uh, it's sad, you know, in the beginning, but that's just the stark reality of what of what this is, what what is, ha is happening to us. We're being torn apart one by one. Um, another question that we had was from Bruce P. How how challenging has it been for frontline employees to keep up with the incremental tasks and rules that are required to protect from COVID? So you know there have definitely been several rounds of um, PPE rules come out. You know phases of reopening. It's definitely been a lot to keep up with as an operator and as a service worker. How how have you seen? How, how have you been dealing with it and how have you seen other people be, do, deal with these guidelines? Yeah, I'll, I'll start that one off. It, it's, it's a huge challenge because it's a constantly evolving set of guidelines, regulations, suggestions, recommendations, whatever you want to call it. There's, you, first you have to try to sift through like what's a requirement versus a recommendation. What, what do you need to follow that's going to meet your local health department code or the or the CDC or whoever it is, um, and, and then what is a recommendation to be to be safer? And you know we want to provide our employees, I'm sure, as Mary Sue and Stephen want to do, a very safe work environment, um, and also meeting any regulatory needs of of your local uh, governments or municipalities and. You know, having to stay on on top of that while also trying to operate a business um, is is not easy. And then um, how to communicate it out. You know, you might read something new, and then you have a multitude of team members to 
communicate that to over different shifts and different days. And as things shift and change along the way, uh, it just adds to, to the complexity of everything else that an operator is trying to balance in their day. Um, you know, besides the financial parts of it, especially when you're adding on new, new costs to a business. Um, so it, I, I don't, there, there's no easy um, uh, way of going about it. And, uh, you know, just trying to keep up to date is uh, the first part of the challenge. Yeah, I'm finding the worst part of, of I mean, we're, we're abundantly cautious. We're, we're asking our staff to wear a mask and a shield if they're contacting any, empl- any guests out in the patio at all, or even taking their order, you know. So, and we're in the kitchen, we wear masks all the time. But one of the biggest challenges is it's really hard to take your mask off and taste and then put it back on. And so people aren't tasting like they usually taste, you know, it's, it's, so I'm finding that, you know, it's just hard to get, to do it all, to wear the mask and keep, and if you're cooking, you got to taste the food all the time, all, all day long, just taste, 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 taste. So I, I find that's difficult, but um, I also have been celebrating the team. Uh, we did a, after every month that we're open, just having them over for on the day that we're closed for a big meal and saying thank you for because they're the ones the front they're they're doing all the hard work they're wearing all the stuff and they're taking their temperature and they're you know writing it down and they're and we're also doing contact tracing at all of our restaurants because you know even though the leadership of our communities and our country are not doing a very good job of it at least I feel like it gives the customer more. Um, trust and confidence because I, th- I think we, ha- we just write down everybody's name who's been in and their phone number. Mm. Customers as well as staff. Yeah. Customers, especially. <laughs> Although we haven't, we've been really lucky. We haven't had a single employee um, be down with COVID yet, but let's, that's why we keep celebrating them every month. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and here, and here uh, in Arizona, you know, it's, it's, it's even more challenging I mean, we have this thing kind of going on right now. It's called heat. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, 117, you know, you, you know, um, uh, so, you know, with all the PPE stuff, you know, it's, 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 it's hot, you know? So one of the things that we you know that, that we do here is we give, you know, we give our staff a couple of minutes to go, to go outside, take a breather, you, you know, things, things like that. And, and again, just to keep, to keep them healthy, you know, yeah, like they do have on the, the, the mask, the gloves and, you know, the, the added, all the added uh, uh, layers of, you know, face masks, they want to wear, they want to wear face masks, they can wear face masks. But it's just, again, it's just a challenge in keeping up, keeping up with it. You, you, you know what I mean? Again, not even talking about the financial aspect of just now having to buy PPEs and keep, keep track of that. One more thing to add to the inventory, you know? Um, so it's just, it's, it's, it's just a constant, you know, again, a constant communication with the staff and the team members and, you know, uh, uh, whether it's, you know, taking their temperature and, just taking their, 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 their temperature too, emotionally and, you know, physically, how are you doing, you know, mentally, you know, well, you know, where are you at? How are you dealing with this? You know, cause we're all in this together. You know, I'm, I'm standing right next to them, you know, day in and day out. So uh, again, it's just keeping that constant, you know, uh, uh, communication and dialogue going. Mm-hmm. So I think this might be our last question. We'll see how it goes, but I think this is super, an interesting thought. Um, John asks, do we see the footprint of restaurants changing to a concept that may include re- a retail outlet within it um, to avoid having to shut down again? And I think this ties into Mary Sue, what you were saying, and that this is potentially a longer term thing. There may be more pandemics. This might 
take several years before everyone is fully safe to go into and dine in in a restaurant. So I think it's an interesting thing to think about as restaurants, the physical space itself could be changing. What do you all think about that? I mean, if if you look at, uh, you know, Connected 12 did two white papers with uh, schematics of the restaurant of the future. And what's interesting is exactly you said, flexibility is everything. I mean, you can't plan for pandemics, but you sure have to plan for flexibility because you don't know what's going to happen. And so the way I see it is th there are there's going to be drive-through and it could be drive-through pickup and it doesn't have to be for just a quick service restaurant. Uh, quick service restaurant doesn't have to have food that's mediocre. It could be actually great food. Um, there has to be the ability for curbside. There, there has to be the ability to have um, seating in an outside portable area, like a potentially a tent and have actually curbside delivery where you can order from your table and, there's so many opportunities and the footprint is going to change. It's going to get smaller and it's going to get more versatile and, and it can work. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to agree. I mean, I think the, 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 the footprint will change. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to change. I think, you know, I, I, I truly believe curbside is going to be something that's going to become, it's going to just be, be around. It's going to be, it's going to be the staple. It's going nowhere. And I think you, you will, you will begin to see restaurants, and with that, they, that come online that are that are restaurants that are specific to one particular thing, whether it be like Bao, which everything you know, Bao is kind of taking over the world now. And, and whether it be if you want to do a cheesesteak, I think everyone you're gonna start seeing concept specific restaurants versus uh, uh, menus, you know, you know, with, with 20, 20, 30 items on it. I think people are gonna get more and more dialed in to what they want to do. So again, I think from now on, I I think every restaurant, every restaurant through every chef now will have. And his or her back pocket on the back of their brain, the thought of the thought of this happening again, and how are they going to 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 pivot? What is the pivot? And that will in turn will be the, desi the deciding factor in what that restaurant concept was going is going to be. You know, even though if that makes any sense, like the restaurant, the new the restaurants of the future will be restaurants that can pivot much more easily than what than what, than what we we had in the past. I I, I definitely see that coming and happening. Any other thoughts on that topic of changing well, footprints? I've, I've actually considered um, getting a cold case, you know, in the restaurant that I could actually, because visually marketing those things that you're selling as groceries is really important. And it's hard, you know, you, you it's not easy to sell that stuff if you don't have those visuals. So I've, I've considered that. We haven't done it yet, but I think we will see more of that. I think it's definitely um, where you might, you know, come into the restaurant and there'd be a little marketplace that you could see the stuff that's right. available. And I do think that, I mean, as a consumer too, I love the idea of being able to take home tomorrow night's dinner from a restaurant that I just had a fabulous, fabulous meal um, at. And in the stuff that's meal kits, they're half made, you know, like we do quesadilla kits that, um, you know, you just take it out and set it on a griddle and flip it over and it's ready. And, the, and, you know, those kind of things that that allow people and people, you know, I have to just mention too that um, people are so busy and their children are at home and they're homeschooling them. And along with their, you know, Zoom schooling, it's very, very stressful for not only us operators, but our customers too. So to be able to grab a couple of quesadillas and take them home for tomorrow night's dinner, 
is something I think we all have to think about being able to offer. I love that maximum reward for minimal effort on both sides. Yeah. I also think the, the farmers can be tremendously helpful. Uh, they can be incredibly innovative. Um, it's, it's not just the, the center cut of the bacon that we need. It's, it's the byproducts, the ends, the pieces. Those are things that can be used in other recipes, provide value to the customer and, and make us a little bit more money. So they're, they're very valuable partners with that. Um, great, great segue there. So our very last question of the, of the session today is from Paul Willis, who is Nyman Ranch's founding hog farmer. I also have to say he's in HRN's Hall of Fame. Um, we are a big fan of Paul Willis. And he asks, what can we as farmers do to help our restaurants and chefs? So that is a great example there, Bruce. Anyone else have thoughts on that about the relationship there? I'll answer that. Um, one of the best calls that I received in the past few months was from Paul. He reached out one day out of the blue, just checking in to see how I was doing. And it just felt so good to get that call um, and just talk to him. And, you know, I'm in New Jersey and he's in Iowa and we're in different parts of the country and dealing and seeing the what's going on around us uh, a little differently. And it was just really refreshing to have that, that phone call with him and, uh, talk to somebody on the other side of the, the supply chain, of the food chain. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's a simple thing. It doesn't cost anybody money or, or anything. It's just, it's just time spent talking and, and building and continuing relationships that, that you have. Um, and, you know, you, you build on those to, to look for a more positive future. And that, that, that to me was the, the best thing that I could have gotten. But I would just second what Bruce said because um, my restaurants have a pretty low check average. It all in, it's it's not that hot, it's not that high, and I do feel like. Um, but we have a really a, a very high standard for our quality of of meats and proteins. So any kind of um, byproducts that are out there that need to be used, I would be so excited to um, you know work with because I think that we need those kind of creative ideas and solutions to, to get through this time and, and a little bit, you know, to, to work together on figuring that out. Yeah, I'll definitely have to agree, agree with, uh, with both of what everyone said. The communication factor is, is definitely huge, you know, you know what I mean? It's a simple call. It takes nothing, you know, just, just a simple hello, just, just to check in. I know I, I had a similar experience with uh, one of my uh, uh, farmers here that grows a lot of produce for us, Bob McClendon. He, just randomly just shot me a call and I was like, Oh, oh okay. It's all, he was genuinely, he was genuinely, genuinely concerned about me uh, and then the restaurant. And that, that was pretty, pretty cool. But definitely what Mary C said about, you know, the by, uh, byproducts and secondary products and please let us know, educate us, you know, educate us. Cause we, you know, we, we as the chefs and, 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 and uh, restaurateurs, you know, we, we, we kind of geek out on that kind of stuff. We like to hear about the cool things that maybe they have been eating for a long time and not, not really selling it. But let, let, me, let me play with it. You know, let's have some fun with it, you know, uh, for sure. Definitely, I fully agree with that. Yeah, this can certainly be an isolating time as we can't, you know, gather in the same ways that we had before, case in point. Um, the virtual hog farmer celebration this year. We're not able to be in Iowa, but it's great that we're able to connect this way. And I think it's a great 
way to end this conversation in that just emphasizing that our relationships with one another are key to getting us through whatever is ahead of us. And um, I just want to thank all of you for joining us today um, and to Nyman Ranch for hosting this event and to all the independent family farmers who are here to celebrate and who are we are celebrating. And as I mentioned, this is the first in a series of events from Nyman Ranch for their hog farmer appreciation celebration. The next one is on next Wednesday and you can join in for a panel on what the future holds for grocery retail featuring another great set of experts. And all that information is available at Nyman Ranch HFAD, stands for Hog Farmer Appreciation Dinner, nymanranchhfad.com. And that's where you can RSVP and learn more about all the events coming up for the next month. All right, thanks everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.